Greetings, I'm John Duvall. Welcome to another Truth Factor Discussion. On today's Truth Factor Discussion, we're going to be talking about a beneficial prayer life. A beneficial prayer life. We are currently in a series of topical studies as we are taking a break from our book studies, having completed the study through the book of Acts and preparing for our next study. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've talked about subjects um, that dealt with the belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, we'll be talking about prayer. In two weeks, we're going to talk about Bible study and a couple other subjects, too, before we get back into our next book study. But I'd like to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us for this study. If you are watching this at a later time, again, thank you for your interest. Now, we're going to ask Paul, if you would, to take just a moment and let everybody know how they can participate in today's study. I'd be happy to do that, John. Uh, today, we are, as jo John mentioned, studying some topical things. And you might like to interact with us on that. And you can do that on YouTube. If you search for Truth Factor Live. Excuse me. Uh, you can do that also on Facebook. If you search also for Truth Factor Live. And I think even on Twitter, uh, there is some uh, ability to communicate with us there. And it's also Truth Factor Live. Now, you might like to email a question, maybe if you're watching at a later date especially, and, and share that with us. And you might send that to questions at truthfactorlive.com. That's questions at truthfactorlive.com. And then each of us also have our own Truth Factor email. If you just use our first name, like Paul or John or Mike or Brian or Tom, at truthfactor.com. Now, we would especially appreciate if you would take time, if you're looking on YouTube or on Facebook, to uh, like us or subscribe to us and uh, click on the notification bell as well, like on YouTube, so that you can get notified whenever we go live. John? Appreciate Paul. Thank you so much for sharing that with everybody. Um, we've tried something the last couple of weeks where we uh, structure the study in a form or after, well, in a form of questions. And uh, we try to make these available ahead of time. So if you are able to, uh, if you're preparing to join us for the study, you might be able to go ahead and um, work up and prepare for the study. And we have submitted this or made this available via Google Forms. And if you are looking at our uh, Truth Factor uh, website. You should see it there under Forms. Uh, it'll be on the front page there. If you're on Facebook, uh, you'll see it in the comments area or when we posted the study and on YouTube as well when we put the information in about today's study. And so what, let you can do, what you can do is go and submit your answers to those questions, then we'll bring them into our study as we talk about this subject. Also made available available on the two links, um, I, I, or two, Facebook and YouTube, um, and the Truth Factor site. You can download an RTF version of the questions if that makes it a little bit easier for you to participate as well. All right, so let me see here for just a second. Um, before we get into the study, well, actually, let's go ahead and begin with the study. And Brian, let me bring this up. Do we have... The first question available in the chat yet. We're putting it up right now, John. All right, let me find my window. I've got a window. There's my window. Windows open. All right, here we go. So I'm going to pop up here the first question. What is prayer? What is prayer? So we've got 
two different thoughts or several different thoughts on what is prayer. And I think it's a very good, good question. Um, when you stop and think about the history of God's people, they've always communicated with God. There's always been what we understand to be prayer. But I think it's a good idea to know what we're talking about when we discuss the subject of prayer. And from our Google forums, we have two individuals who have submitted uh, various answers to these questions. The first one is Stephen James, little Stephen. It's good to see you again. And also Brother, uh, Brother Gregor Hinckley as well. He has submitted his thoughts too. So it's good to have both of y'all with us here for today. So I'll, I'll read their questions and then um, Mike, I'll throw it to you after I read their answers and see what your thoughts are on prayer as well. So the first one, he says, um, we are, and I believe these are in order. Stephen James says, we are submitting ourselves to our Heavenly Father. That submission consists of earnest repentance and a contrite heart so that we may request that our lives be a reflection of his will. We're asking that God help guide us through wisdom and understanding so that our present distresses may be eased and we may be comforted. All right, that's a very good, uh, very generalized thought regarding prayer, all-encompassing of, of, of the various reasons why we would pray. It's a good, good statement there. And then Gregor says, a conversation with God, a form of worship, a point of supplication. Mike, what are your thoughts on that question and maybe their answers, or what do you have to say on that? Pardon me? What are just, your th- I'm sorry. What are your thoughts on what is prayer? <laughs> On what is prayer? Prayer is a communication between the child of God and our Father. It is a request of our needs, though he knows our needs before we ask him. It is an opportunity to thank him abundantly for the dozens and dozens of blessings that we have, both spiritual and temporal. It's an opportunity to pour our heart out to him and say, I've got some concerns on my mind. I I need to talk to my Father. Uh, in the flesh, I don't, I, I don't make any bones about it. I miss dad. I, I spent talking to dad about things that I just needed to pour my heart out to him. Well, spiritually, that's what we do in prayer with God. It's, it's a communication between God's child, our father. And as you've got other questions down here, we know that there's others listening to that prayer and, and bolstering it. But uh, the basic answer is it's communication with God, our thanks, our needs, uh, our guidance, just a good, healthy communication between the child of God and our Father. All right. And I I would agree with Mike. I I would agree with that. Uh, Paul, do you have any other thoughts on this? Well, I was thinking that really uh, to understand prayer and the definition of prayer would be very easy to just look at opportunities what happened when it says that in scripture that someone prayed i was thinking about matthew 6 where jesus taught the disciples to pray and he says he gives several instructions about that he says when you pray go into your room shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will excuse me will reward you and so just looking at some of those kind of things uh Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. And so uh, we understand that we are talking to uh, Almighty God when we pray. And uh, we're to approach him in, in the manner that's respectful to him. But it is the ability of uh, us to have communication with deity. Okay. 
All right, I appreciate that, Paul. Good thoughts. Um, any other any other thoughts? I think I think everybody is pretty much saying the the same idea. Um, Brian, you or Tom have any other thoughts on this before we move on? Just okay. uh, just very very quickly. Uh, when we talk about communication, it's a two way street. Uh, prayer is the way God has provided for us to communicate to Him. Uh, we'll talk about how He communicates to us the next time we're together. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes... you know, maybe to add what Tom said, it is mm -hmm. it is different than human communication because yeah. this communication goes by faith, uh, and uh, it's important that we might make that distinction to say if somebody had no idea what prayer was, I think most people do, but let's imagine the person who is completely devoid of the idea of prayer, and we said it's communicating with God. They might think, well, is God talking back to you the same way? And that's not the case. Uh, it is yeah. it is a form of communication, but it's not like the communication between people. Okay, all right, that's a good point. Um, one thing that Gregor did make the point of, he mentioned it also as an act of worship or a form of worship, mm -hmm. and I think that's a good a good point. It is used in worship. Yeah, good point there. All right, so let's see. Let's move on. Then bring my questions back up here. So in our the next question that we posed, and we'll throw that up on the this up on the chat here in just a minute, is when you study the scriptures, what type of prayers do you see? Wait a minute. I'm sorry, my, Brian, you got the right you have the right question. I'm reading the wrong one. Here's the right question. Send. There we go. <laughs> what makes praying to God possible? All right, now this is a very interesting point because if we were to spend time talking about um, who is able to pray to God, um, we would we would start with this question. What makes praying to God possible? And so we're going to go back to our forms here real quick and see what uh, replies. And I need to I need to spend a little time getting these prepped to where y'all can see them when I read them at home. But Stephen James his, his comment is, Christ's death on the cross removed the veil between God and man. And then quoting from Matthew 27, 50 through 51, he references and Jesus cried out. Um, he yielded up his spirit. And this is a paraphrase. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were rent. It's the, the, the tearing of the veil there that he's referencing in the text. This was a moment when, as a baptized, faithfully obedient follower of Christ, we are considered priests of God. 1 Peter 2.9, and thus pray to God through Christ, our high priest who sits on the right hand of God. Stephen, I appreciate that. It's a good good explanation of why what enables us to pray. Uh, Gregor says, Christ's death and resurrection paid for our sins, allowing God through the Holy Spirit to hear us. All right, it's another good point. So let's see, Brian, since we've got you ready and available, do you have any thoughts on your answer to this question of what makes prayer possible? Um, first of all, those are some great answers, um, and uh, I'm kind of thinking here what else I can add to that. Maybe maybe we might add the idea that there are certain things that are involved in the dynamics of prayer that make it possible. Uh, for example, we are told that a, that a person that prays must have a, a relationship with God. I know we've already kind of said mm -hmm. that, but we see all through the Old Testament and New Testament statements, and I was just looking at Proverbs 28, verse 9, the one who turns his ear away from hearing the law, his prayer is an abomination. There are a number of statements in the Old Testament in the Proverbs and Psalms that speak of God turning away from those who, who reject him, but listening to those who are righteous. So first of all, there is a there is a requirement for a righteous relationship with God. 
Jesus would add another qualification when teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6, when he would say that our prayers also hinge on our ability to forgive others of their sins. So the idea that we're prepared to forgive others uh, of the sins they've committed against us is also a matter of the mechanics of prayer. Um, Jesus spoke to the idea in John chapter 17, uh, or actually John 15, of the uh, characteristics of praying in his name to the Father. Uh, Paul already hinted towards that earlier, but it just might be worth considering one, once again that if once more there's a dynamic involved in that. Uh, finally, there's, there's some sense in Romans chapter 8 where it speaks of the Holy Spirit's work in prayer. And perhaps we might consider that could be the idea of the Holy Spirit as he's manifested in the scriptures, teaching us how to pray. Um, there, there might be something else to that too. I'm prepared to consider, but I'm not prepared to comment too much on that. Uh, <laughs> I think certainly though, the other men on the board could comment to that and I'd love to hear their thoughts. Yeah. You bring it up and then, then spike it over to, uh, Tom. That's what happened here. What do you think about that, Tom? <laughs> you don't have to answer that specifically, but <laughs> no. <laughs> you mean about the Holy Spirit? You mean like uh, question six? <laughs> you know, question no, we'll have to talk about that outline? one. We'll, we'll deal with that one here a little bit later. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have no, any thoughts on, on what makes prayer possible? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, uh, everything that's been said, I mean, I, I might add to that, you know, the fact that we're Christians, of course, we've, that's what puts us in a relationship with him. There is, there is a distinction between believers and unbelievers or Christians and those who are not Christians in their ability to pray to God. And, of course, having said that, uh, you know, there's nothing that you say that God doesn't know. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. And we have examples of those who are not yet Christians who approached God, those who are not a part of his family, such as uh, Cornelius. God heard his prayers. But what he hears from unbelievers is limit more limited. So we need to be a Christian, and and, oh. and then the other living li living like we should. And, and I also appreciate the fact that was mentioned by Gregor and others about uh, Jesus dying on the cross to make prayer possible for us. Okay. Tom, may I add uh, just an item or two there? Sure. When when we pray to God, there is. Uh, there must be a self-examination in that prayer. Brian touched on that just a minute ago. That's what keyed into my mind. Paul said that we need to examine ourselves and see whether we be faith. Prayer is an item of faith. We earnestly believe that God is listening to our prayers. And as we'll come to in a minute, we understand that Christ is the advocate for us and that the Spirit makes intercession with us with groanings that cannot be uttered. No, I'm not going to explain that because I don't know. But if, without a self-examination of our own souls, we'd have no need to talk to our Father about asking how to correct these problems. That's why we admit that we sin and beg His forgiveness. That's why we ask for His guidance. Uh, James says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and afraideth not. Frankly, I don't have enough wisdom. I keep asking God every day for it. Our prayers are petitions to God because, number one, we are created in his image, in his likeness. The only part of us that is literally that way is our soul. Our soul has to be eternal. 
It'll either be eternally with God because of our obedience to the gospel or eternally without God because we defamed that obedience. We, we ignored it. We rejected it. If I've obeyed the gospel, that doesn't mean that I'm home free. That means I have to communicate with my father. So what does what makes prayer possible? My answer is my God, my father cares enough about me that he arranged a way to listen to me and help me. Mike, I appreciate that explanation. Um, I think something that, that sometimes we don't talk about very often, um, and Tom, you touched on this a little bit. We know that God knows the thoughts of every person. All right, so we've got a bunch of people praying to something. All right, and God, God knows all their thoughts. That's why judgment falls within his purview. But it is the fellowship that we have with him, with Christ, and with the Spirit, and the fellowship they have with us that brings us into this covenant relationship whereby God not only hears, but entertains, if you know, if we would want to say that word, you know, it, you know, gives consideration to um, our, our our prayers. So, and if, what everybody mentioned, I think, is a very very good point. Um, John, I was just going to say that in a similar way to Mike, not just trying to say it differently, but mm -hmm. it's uh, God's receptiveness. Uh, yeah. If someone calls my phone, I've got caller ID, and I can say I want to talk to them or I don't want to talk to them. Uh, I've got a camera on the front door, and if someone uh, knocks on the door, I can receive them or I can reject them. But as we think about that, God is wanting to hear from his children at all times. Uh, it's never, no, he's too busy or, or he's unavailable. And so all the things that were said uh, from the uh, perspective of what, what we need to be to talk to God, I, I agree with all of that. But without God's receptiveness, uh, we could not speak to God. Absolutely agree. That's a good point. It's a very good point. All right. So let's see. Now, by the way, if you, if you did not, you don't have to use the forms only if you want to participate in today's study. If you have something that comes to mind as we go through this study, please feel free to drop it into the comment area of either Facebook or YouTube. And we do have a comment area there on our live.truthfactor.com viewing page. So you can make use of that as well. But please feel free to participate that way if you would like to. All right, Brian, let's go to our third question for consideration as we go through this type of study um, and again, we're talking about a beneficial prayer life. We've defined what prayer is, and we've talked about what makes prayer to God possible. The next question pertains to the various types of prayers. What, what types of prayers do we see in the Bible? And I think it's an interesting thing for us to consider. Um, I tell you what, before we go to see uh, what has been submitted through forms, let me give some of our local guests an opportunity, our local host, an opportunity to answer that question. And let's see, Brian, raise your hand for just a minute. Okay, Brian's volunteered. Um, go ahead, Brian, and, and <laughs> what type of prayers do we see in the Bible? <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was looking at some thoughts earlier on this, um, and I had a, a list where it talks about different kinds of prayers in the Bible. Uh, there are prayers of faith. James 5 and verse 15 references that. Uh, there are the prayers of brethren together that are uh, that 
we might say are the prayers of worship of the church. Acts 2 and verse 42 is an example of that. There are prayers that are petitions. The Philippians chapter 4, Paul says to present your petitions as prayers, your supplications as prayer. Uh, there are prayers that are of thanksgiving, of uh, giving thanks to God. We see many psalms that are prayers uh, of that point. Um, there are uh, prayers of intercession. First Timothy 2 says we're to pray that God, uh, for the sake of all men, uh, so we can pray for others as well. Um, and um, that that was a list that I had uh, kind of come up with of different kinds of prayers that we find in the Bible. Okay. All right. Um, Jim, anyone want to add to that? All right, let me let me bring in from the chat or from the forms that were submitted, and then um, I've got a couple of thoughts, and then we can move on, unless we have other comments. Um, Stephen James makes the comment. He says, prayers are often a request or petition to God. Uh, let me go ahead and mention real quick. You think about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where Paul instructs Timothy that prayers of intercession, supplication, and and thanksgiving be made for all men. So think about that, intercession, supplication, prayers of thanksgiving. So with that in, with that in mind, Stephen says prayers are often a request or petition to God. So sometimes that involves only the one praying, which is referred to as supplication. David prayed in supplication for mercy. Think about Psalms chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, prayed for leading, Psalms chapter 5, verse 8. Deliverance in Psalms chapter 6, verse 4. And even salvation from persecution, Psalms chapter 7, verse 1, and so forth. Daniel prayed for deliverance when King Darius uh, was deceived into issuing a law prohibiting prayer to any god but the king. Uh, we know how the story goes. He was discovered praying to Jehovah and was placed in the lion dens as a result, and God delivered him. Jesus advises us that we should ask for our daily bread, Matthew 6, 11. Again, got a supplication there. Uh, Christ tells us that we need to be persistent in that for which we ask, Luke 18, 1 through 8. Uh, James, the brother of the Lord, instructs that we do not receive because we do not ask. You think about James chapter 4, verse 2. And however, we must not appeal to God for frivolous fleshly desires, James 4, verse 3. We should always be grateful to God and to recognize that his will be accomplished. Thank you, Stephen. Um, Gregor requests for important things like wisdom, guidance, and thanksgiving. See those within the scriptures. Prayers of intercession will be prayers on behalf of others. You know, think about when Paul solicited the prayers of other brethren on his behalf. I think those would be considered prayers of intercession. Uh, prayers of supplication would be prayers on your own behalf and prayers of thanksgiving as well. But there can be prayers that bless God where you, you within your prayer, you acknowledge the greatness of God. Um, and so there are other ways of looking at that, the types of prayers. All right, gentlemen, any thoughts or comments from y'all? Okay, I think I think that's pretty straightforward there. And when you study the Bible, you see the prayers fall into those different categories there. All right. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> Go ahead, Tom. Uh, just one real quick sub point under, yes. I think, supplication is asking for forgiveness. Mm. And, and, and it's obviously significant in our lives. It's how we receive forgiveness from God as Christians. Well, um, let's do a nice side by side there, Tom, so I can look at you as I, as I'm talking to you. Um, the other way, turn the other way, Tom. There you go. Hi, Tom. No, Hi. no, 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 no. <laughs> you think about think about Jesus um, in the Sermon on the Mount when he taught the the apostles how to pray. 
I see two different categories he tells us to pray for. And these will both be prayers of supplica- uh, supplication. One, our physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. All right. Physical, important things. A lot of things aren't. <clears throat> but we pray for the things we actually need. Then spiritual needs. Forgive us this day. or uh, Forgive us of our sins and lead us not into temptation. So two things in life that we pray to God about. One is our physical physical needs and then our spiritual needs. And here's the beauty of it. I think God will always answer both of those prayers. You will always have food to eat and all of our sins will always be forgiven as long as we, of course, do our part and abide by his word. Um, but you're right, Tom. Forgiveness of sins is definitely something. Uh, Tom, I'll throw this to you real quick. Who was uh, one of the most noted in... This is by my my viewpoint. <laughs> Who would be the most noted individual in the Old Testament that said a very significant prayer because of how great his sin was? That would be David. Yeah. And and I mean, and he did it more than once. We have what three or four psalms that he wrote. Yeah. Specifically, that are very likely related to that event. Yeah. Specifically, Psalms fifty-one is really yeah, the big Psalm one. Psalm fifty-one yeah. primarily. Yeah. Exactly. Big example of prayer of repentance. Yeah. Yep. Um, by the way, a little little self plug. About eight or nine years ago, I wrote a song called "Prayer of Repentance," and it was based on Psalms fifty one. I just found out recently it's been on uh, the Stevens website. It's a song you could download and order. So I uh, had to sign a permission slip to make sure that it stayed you know, for them to keep it there. Um, not that that's important. So let's continue on though. Next question. So what do you see? Brian, let's bring this up here real quick. I'm running behind here a little bit. Um, the next question I want to talk about, though, is what do you see? Now, think about this. When someone, If someone was to ask you, what is the main purpose of prayer? What would be your answer? What do you see is the main purpose of praying to God? And um, Stephen, in his response on the forum, says, See response to questions one and three. Thank you very much, Stephen. That's right. Um, and and Gregor says allows us to make requests and show our gratitude. Um, I like what Stephen said. I do have one other thought that I had in mind when I put that question together, and it's just a matter of the way that I was looking at it. So y'all may come up with a different answer. But let's start with you, Mike. What is the what do you see as the main purpose? Of praying to God. The main purpose of praying to God is to let God know that you still need him. And remember, he's going to answer that prayer one of three ways. Our requests are either answered with a yes, a no, or wait a while. God's decisions to our petitions are within his purview, not ours. We walk by faith, not by sight, and therefore our prayers, again, you're in some way, this is an opinionated question, and that's an opinion. But prayer is, as I said before, our communication with God, our, our asking him, what must I do to be saved? Once we're baptized and children of God does not mean we've got a punch ticket into heaven. We have to walk each day according to his will, and therefore we need his guidance. 
though he'll never leave us nor forsake us if we don't ask him where to go, how to get there, and why, then we may not be able to move at all. Prayer is our communication to God. That's the main purpose. Okay. All right, Brian, what about you? What do you think would be the main purpose, the way you see it, of prayer? <clears throat> you know, let me let me throw a curveball, um, not something too radical, but maybe a different way of looking at it. Sometimes I like to say it's not so much that we look to find God answering our prayers, but our prayers are actually an answer to God. Um, because if, if it is a communication, who spoke first? And the answer to that is God spoke first. So in some ways, when we consider prayer, prayer is actually answering God's uh, statements to us. And I think one of the things about prayer in that sense is that uh, that would explain why Jesus would say things like in Mark eleven twenty four, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, past tense, that there's a sense where God's blessings for us are already there. God's answers for us are already there. It's our purpose to petition him for those things or to petition him for that intervention. But but from the divine perspective, it, it has already been accomplished. It's already been spoken. It's already been said. So sometimes I like to say it's not that God answers prayers. It's that prayers answer God, um, that uh, that when we're praying to God, we're actually activating the things that God has already purposed for us. And that kind of it doesn't actually conflict with anything. For example, what Mike said about what we're looking for from God, you know, the the response in a positive or negative or something like that. But it's more to say, too, that that whatever God's response was, that response has already uh, been prepared or those things have already been established for us. And what we're doing is we're responding to God. And that that also kind of goes down the road of saying, why does Jesus say that we must pray within the will of God? And that would, again, kind of purpose to the idea that when we're praying to God, we're actually uh, seeking the things that he's already said to us. That's how we know the will of God, by the word of God. So I'm asking for things that I know God has already offered to do, like my daily bread. He's already told me he would he would give that to me. Now, I must activate that by prayer. Uh, he's offered his intervention in my life. Uh, I must activate that by prayer. Uh, he's offered, you know, well, we can go down this list and say just so many things. And then there's many things he's not offered us, many things he's he's not uh, prepared to to do for us. And we have to appreciate those ideas as well. So it's a little different way of looking at it, but not really. Just just maybe wording it a little differently, uh, if you would. Okay. Good thoughts. I think it's a good way of approaching that, Brian. I appreciate that. Um, still not what I'm thinking, but it's a, it's it's. I, I like what you said. Very helpful. Very helpful. Paul, what are your thoughts? The main well, purpose of prayer, as you see it. Yeah, and and this is a different answer than what's been given, but I don't think it disagrees with the ones that have been given so far. And that is, I think it depends on the prayer, um, what the purpose is. Uh, and I, I would refer to a lot of the Psalms. Sometimes the Psalm is crying out to God in praise. And the Psalmist will spend an entire uh, time speaking, singing, uh, praying to God. Uh, that is a prayer. That is a prayer of praise to God. But then sometimes it's, rescue me you know i need help right now and uh certainly it's an approach to god in a respectful way uh, i didn't want to i'm not contradicting what mike said i think god does answer prayer in several ways uh and he said that he may answer yes or no he may answer that uh, you need to wait a while and learn patience 
Uh, I think that we also see in Scripture that God's answer sometimes is, and this is not original in my thinking, but no, I've got something better for you. And I think about Paul's uh, prayer that God would remove the thorn in the flesh that he had. And God says, no, uh, you're going to have the thorn in the flesh, but I've got something so much better for you, my grace, and that is sufficient. So, but but I do think uh, in answer to straightforward to your prayer, I think it depends on the prayer and uh, what our purpose is. I think we can have prayers of different purposes. Okay. All right. Boy, a lot of great answers. A lot of great answers. Not what I'm thinking, but I've still great answers. All right, let's see what Tom's got. He tells us to pray. We got to obey him. And and it's it's a part of what he tells us to do. And and I mean, that factors into everything else we've talked about. But, but bottom line is God t- tells us to pray, so we need to pray. Okay, and that will be Tom's shortest response in the history of truth factor discussion well i can elaborate if you want (laughs) well tom let let me share this with you and you're right and and here's kind of the way that and you're right everybody answers the question differently and as paul says based on their purpose and and uh, what the first prayer but what i was kind of looking at is prayer shows our trust in god you know when when everything is said and done we pray to him because we trust him you know, even things like, for instance, I, I think about when I was a kid. I like to use the example when I was a kid. Storm, big old storm came in, woke me up. And in my dream, giant boulders, kind of like Indiana Jones styles, were, were rolling down the street. And this was predating Indiana Jones a little bit. But big old boulders. And so I'm, I'm able to hear all these boulders rolling down the street. So I wake up, and I am just very, very scared. And I run to my mom and dad. I climb into their bed. And you know what? I'm as safe as I possibly could be. Now, the reality is they couldn't have saved me if a tornado had hit the house. But from my little mindset as a kid, I was safe. I trusted in my mom and dad. Now, God is different, obviously, than our, our parents, but he is our Heavenly Father. And I just think that one of the main purposes of prayer is to show our Heavenly Father that we trust him implicitly. We, we place our worries upon him our needs upon him. We don't even complain if he doesn't give us what we're asking for. You know, as Paul pointed out in his, God's response to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you, you know, but we trust in him to handle the heavy stuff for us and even the small things. And we just do our part. And I think, you know, that would be another purpose of prayer. Any thoughts or any comments? There's three things that very seldom are heard in today's language. John, statement i love you thank you and please yeah we need to go to god as we and in, in, in comment of what you just said uh, regarding our our protection uh, our our trust I, I appreciate those thoughts that you just shared that that's right if we don't trust god then where are we yeah and see i, I think this is this is where we understand what's most important james was killed by herod but not peter now, that can seem a little bit unfair if you stop and think about it. But the reality is that was just fleshly life, physical life. James went to be with the Father. You know, God took care of what was most important, and that was James's soul. You know, and if we realize that what God sees as most important is our own spiritual well-being, then the big things of life we pray for, we realize aren't that important. 
God's yeah. taking care of what's most important, and that should that should provide us a lot of comfort. Yeah. So. All right. So we had we had a couple questions. Let me check our time here real quick. It's eleven forty-two. Got a couple more questions here. I want to talk about. Um, and I think Tom, one of the one of the um, can of worm questions you asked, we're going to tackle. I think Tom asked this question. We're going to tackle on this next one here. No, Brian. Oh, it was Brian. Brian. It was Brian. Brian and his can of worms. All right. So let's go ahead and Mr. Brian, if you want to, um, I'm going to introduce the question, and then I'm going to go ahead and throw what you said out there and let you. Answer that, and then we'll we'll come back to the other. Do you, do you want me to go thing. ahead and put up question number five? Then while we do that, if you would, yeah, go ahead yeah. and and grab that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Hello to MTM Math Thematics. I'm not sure what that is. Someone joined us for their study today. Yeah. So here here's the question. Number five, what are your suggestions for praying properly to God? What are your suggestions for praying properly to God? And Brian, I got this sneaky suspicion that you're going to, let's start at the end of the prayer and talk about it. <laughs> well, you know, so so one th a comment I've, I've wondered about, and uh, I'm not prepared to say I know all the answers, but, you know, we always end, end in prayer with amen. And I... Uh, have asked is that necessary uh, one of the panelists uh, suggested well try to end a prayer in the assembly without amen and see what happens and uh, now that's a good point it, uh, but but I might suggest amen is, is kind of a tradition for us although there are uh, many things end with amen the idea amen uh, is the idea of uh, the word itself it means let it be or or so it is or something like that so it's uh, out of the Hebrew. First time the word appears is Numbers chapter 5 and verse 22, where God expects the people to respond to him in that way. So it's kind of interesting while we end prayers with amen in the Old Testament, oftentimes when somebody prayed, the audience were the ones that said amen uh, whenever they uh, were in agreement with that. So it's kind of a bit of a tradition that we have to end prayers with amen as opposed to a requirement. So when we're talking about things that uh, we're required to do to pray properly to God, uh, amen may not be necessary. Uh, it may be useful, but perhaps not necessary. All right. Brian wasn't completely thorough. And we'll come back to his question here in just a moment. He had another question before that I one. I did have another part. Yeah. Yeah, And we'll, and we'll talk about that. Let me I'll go ahead and bring in real quick. Um, I believe this is probably Gregor's answer. What are your suggestions for praying properly? And I believe it's Gregor says praise, gratitude, and request within the will of God. So whatever we're praying for, make sure that we pray within the will of God. If, if it be the will of the Father, not, not a selfish prayer, but a selfless prayer. Think about Jesus. He says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And ultimately, in all things, we pray to God. It is his will that we are seeking. Um, so I'm going to come back to Brian here real quick. And then we'll take Mike and, and Paul and Tom's comments as well on suggestions for praying properly to God. But I think this is a very valid question. So, Brian, must you end a prayer with saying, in Jesus' name we pray, amen? Well, that's a great question. 
So we understand uh, that we are told about prayer in John, several places, John 17 in particular, Jesus said that we are to pray to the Father, and we're doing so in his name. Now, the expression in his name refers to the idea of authority, uh, the idea of the authority of Christ, uh, that we're able to pray, that we are making that petition through him. Now, oftentimes we, we make that abundant or we make that uh, manifest by using the expression in Jesus name we pray. Now we actually don't see any prayers that were were offered in the New Testament that <laughs> that use that specific terminology. It certainly is an accurate way of demonstrating that we are praying in Jesus name and it's important that we uh, are understood to pray in Jesus name. but we might suggest that it is merely one way of many that we might be able to manifest the idea, that we are praying in the name or the authority of Jesus. And that that term itself, some, some would say it's like a stamp on an envelope, that that term itself may not be the required way we have to do that. Um, I'll certainly let anybody else who has a thought on this go. Well, where, where I really think about this, Brian, is in your personal life. Have you ever gone to sleep at night while praying? Well, based on some people's position, God did not hear that prayer. Because you didn't end with, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, you fell asleep. So shame on you. <laughs> um, but I agree with what you're saying. The idea of, in Jesus' name we pray, we're talking about the method whereby we pray, what enables us to pray to God. You know, um, and, and so an individual who is driving along in their car or someone has a heavy, heavy weight on their shoulders, I believe they can pray to God and not have to say at the end, in Jesus' name I pray, because it is the very name of Jesus through which he is praying. Uh, now, publicly, um, we I had a brother one time, or not a brother, brother, but a brother in Christ, um, who is a member of a congregation, and he, he would lead very beautiful prayers and sounded very meaningful prayers, and I believe they, they were meaningful. But he wouldn't end the prayer in, in Jesus' name I pray. And we had a couple of visitors at the end of services from time to time Say, how come he didn't end his prayer within Jesus' name? And so I, I thought to myself, that's something that really we need to look into. And so, Brian, what, what, or Mike, what would be a good reason for encouraging men when they play, pray publicly to say in Jesus' name? And I think Brian may have alluded to it as well. Well, in, in training classes that we've done over the years, Colossians 3.17 is kind of a staple. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And there again, it's a matter of, of the authority. I agree. I, I think part of our closing of prayer in Jesus' name, amen, has become more tradition. Than it has a, a, an actual, thus saith the Lord behind it. We are under the control of Christ as Christians because we've surrendered our lives, Colossians 3, 1 through 5. Christ lives in us, Galatians 2, 20. Uh, as we walk, as we talk, it's all about Christ. Yet publicly, people need to know that there's a reverence and a humility about it. And when we begin our prayers, our Father who art in heaven or uh, however we may begin that prayer, we speak our request in behalf of the brethren as well as ourselves. We include long announcements sometimes about the sick and the, bless our nation and take care of the, of the problems that are going on. We make these long announcements about it sometimes in prayer, which 
I don't believe is necessary. God knows those needs. Our prayers need to be of a humble, reverent fashion. And then when closed, especially in a public fashion, let the people know that indeed you've made those petitions in the, by the authority of Jesus Christ. And the expression, amen, is a very old statement, but it simply means, let it be so. And so with the Lord's will, that's how we, that public prayer. Yeah, because not everyone has this knowledge. That's right. You know, and so you don't want to hinder someone's worship, but at the same time, you don't want to condemn a man who doesn't close his prayer that way. Oh, no, you know, no, there's no. There's a fine balance. And, 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 yeah. there, there was a time uh, when I was preaching a meeting and I, I, many, many years ago, I was much younger and, and more naive. A fellow began his prayer by addressing God, and he simply said, in the name of Jesus, our Father, we come to thee. Mm-hmm. And at the end of his prayer, the statement was made, he sat down. And I'm thinking, where's the amen? You know, (laughs) well, he didn't need to say that. He'd already addressed the fact that his prayer was through Christ. But it took me a long time to understand that. As gospel preachers, I guess maybe I'm stepping off the subject a little bit, but as gospel preachers, we need to remind the young in the faith sometimes that you have to know who's in the audience. Not every is as knowledgeable as we are and in fact you may find some that are much more knowledgeable than we are and by that you kind of you you kind of spread the sermon the the service the singing in a manner that everybody can take a part in that you've got to add milk and meat and mix it together sometimes so that everybody goes home with something in their basket and prayer is just like that if, if you shock somebody by not closing it in amen or in Jesus' name, there's going to be people wondering, what kind of a church is this? What authority do they use for prayers like that? That's not an insult. That's just simply a red flag saying, let's sit down and let's have a class on this. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Because it, it, guys who lead prayer publicly need to remember two very important things. They are praying on behalf of the congregation at that time it's not a time for them to pray about their own problems and their own issues this is a time where they're praying on behalf of the church and it's not time to be an order to be a what be an orator that's right exactly yeah that's exactly right um and so you need to weigh what you say in front of the congregation so they're not miss they don't do a misstep and interrupt their prayer process because something you said that maybe you should or should not have you know, subject of judgment and stuff. That's yeah. correct. That's yeah. correct. All right, well, let's move on here real quick. Um, Paul, do you have any final, any thoughts on what are your suggestions for praying properly to God? We see uh, in Jesus' teaching in the parable about the publican and the tax collector that we need to come to God with humility, uh, realizing who God is, realizing who we are. Uh, and, and I'd say that would be one of the very most fundamental key things. Do you say Republicans and tax collectors? No, sir. I... Republicans and tax collectors. And Tom, yes, it's a good point you made. Sorry. <laughs> Tom, any, any thoughts on this before we move on to, well, probably what will be our last question. Do it regularly. That's, uh, I, I mean, I know we've, we've, all, we've all skirted around. When I say skirt, not skirted around, but dealt with that, addressed it indirectly. Pray regularly. Pray regularly. Yeah. Needs to be a habit, something you do without without ceasing. First Thessalonians five seventeen, 
And that doesn't mean 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're, you're in prayer to God, but it does mean that you're in a position to where you can pray to God 24 seven, and it ought to be a regular part of your life. Yeah. If, you know, if you go back to the first century, you know, after the church was established, we see some of those new, newly made Christians uh, following in the normal prayer activity they had been in as Jews, where they would pray, what, three times a day, third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour of the day, you know, and that'd be a great example for us. All right, let's see. We're working on a few minutes remaining here. And I did, now, for those who answered the questions in the Google form, I neglected to remove uh, what are your thoughts on John 9, 31 as it relates to prayer. I pulled that from our outline, guys, that we're looking at. Uh, we may come back to that here in just a minute, but let's let's look at this real simple, simple question. And let's see, Brian, do you have that one ready for me? Looks like you sure do. So let's bring this up here real quick. What roles do Jesus and the Holy Spirit play in a Christian praying to God? Um, and this is very specific, I think, especially to Romans chapter 8. Um, is probably where the primary answer would come from in that text here. But let me go ahead and throw it to the Google form real quick. And Stephen James, he says, as mentioned in the point two earlier, the second question, when we're baptized, faithfully obedient Christians, we are considered a priest of God, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, and can thus pray to God through Christ, who is our high priest who sits at the right hand of God. So there we have Christ being our, our high priest between us and God. We learn from the Apostle Paul that the Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us. Perhaps here we should consider Paul's words verbatim. This is what he says, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Romans 8, verses 26 through 27. And then, uh, Gregor, he says, Jesus paid our toll and the Holy Spirit translates. That's very interesting. Very interesting and concise way of putting it. So let's see, um, who wants to tackle this question of the five of us who wants to begin i'll i'll kick it off and then uh let the wiser among us uh continue but uh, i i believe that passage that, that you mentioned certainly we realize jesus is our intercessor and we pray by his authority and in his name but that part about the spirit uh there are times that i don't know what the best thing to happen is uh, i don't know exactly what to pray for uh, maybe you're standing over an aged Christian who's suffering terribly, and do you just you pray for them to get better or not? Um, it, I think it's a difficult thing. And so there are times, uh, and there are times, things within the local work that I don't know what's best. Uh, I pray about it because it's on my heart, it's on my mind. I, I uh, cast my care upon him, as Peter says, because I know he cares for me. Uh, but in looking at that, I, I just, uh, in bringing that prayer to, to God, I don't know what to ask for. And so I just, um, in those groanings, so to speak, uh, cry out to God about the matter and leave it in his hands. Okay. I think sometimes we can be a little arrogant too. We want God to answer our prayer uh, in the way that we think it should happen. Uh, and, uh, not that, you know, I, here, here, here's the plan. 
that we'd speak to God and we'd say, here's what needs to happen. Well, maybe God has a, has a different answer to that. And, uh, and so he'll do what's best. Yeah. All right. That's a good, good point. Good thought. Um, who next? Who has another thought? Let me um, let me share this with you here. Um, the Bible says what it says, and we understand that Jesus is our. Matter of fact, the same passage of Romans eight identifies Jesus as our intercessor, as well as it identifies the Holy Spirit as our intercessor. Now, Jesus is our intercessor because He died upon the cross, as we talked about earlier, making prayer possible. Um, does Jesus intercede with every single prayer that is offered to God? Maybe, but I'm not sure if that was the point that Paul was making. If the point is because of his death, he became the intercessor. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, Paul seems to think, and this is the Apostle Paul, that there is a role played by the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit helps translate. I kind of like the, the, the term that Gregor put up there. Uh, but the Holy Spirit plays a part whereby when I pray to my Heavenly Father, and, and, and this is not to negate the power of God. This has everything to do with sin, having separated us from God, Jesus being the mediator, bring the two of us together, the Holy Spirit, the part that he plays in being our intercessor. These things work together so that me and my limited ant-like mind prays to the eternal, supreme, omnipotent being that he hears and, and knows truly what it is that my heart desires and what I'm, what I'm praying for. Um, and I like what Paul said a while ago. <laughs> we, we'll pray to God, but leave it up to him to figure out what's the best way of dealing with things. So, <clears throat> All right, any other thoughts or comments on this, gentlemen? Anyone jump in at the last minute in the chat room? All right, we are at the top of the hour. There was one other question that I'd originally had in the, the, the questions, and if you looked at the online form, the Google form, you'd have seen that it had to do with John 9, 31. Um, in, in my life as a Christian, oftentimes I've heard preachers, and, and when I first started preaching, I would do this a lot. John 9, 31, here's what the Bible says. We know God does not hear sinners. Okay. And many times that passage is used to should say that God does not hear sinners. Problem is, in that particular statement there, it was made by a man who Jesus has healed, and he was trying to convince the, the local Jews there, the leaders, that Jesus was from God because had Jesus not been from God, then Jesus' prayer of the man be healed would not have been heard because, as the Jews understood, God did not hear sinners. And so that's where I kind of had to, I just wanted to see what y'all's thoughts were. We need to use another verse when we talk about sin separating us from God and, and then you know the role that Christ played in dying upon the cross that statement he makes is not an inspired statement, although the truth could be seen within that statement. Does that make sense? I I would, you know, I, I've heard in the past, some people have suggested it, that it's not an inspired statement. And I would suggest, um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would agree that that's true because he's actually speaking from an inspired truth. Um, the idea is he's summarizing the Old Testament. He's, he's summarizing a number of statements that are made in the Old Testament where, you know, and I mentioned this before that in the Psalms and Proverbs and lots of places, there's there's lots of statements that say God, if somebody's in sin, God doesn't listen to them. So, I, so I'm not sure I would necessarily declare that, that it is an uninspired statement. We might question that he is inspired uh, mm, as a yes. person to say it, but it is an inspired statement because it's a statement made 
many times under inspiration. So, you know, like I said, it'd be kind of like me saying you must believe and be baptized in order to be saved. You know, uh, I, it's an inspired statement. I may not be inspired, but the statement itself is because it's it relates to the truth. Um, so so I, like I said, I, you know, I kind of step back and I say, I think he's just very aptly, correctly summarizing what the Bible teaches about prayer in a generic sense. I mean, we, we might say, well, there are exceptions to that. Uh, Cornelius or others, but I'd say in a generic sense, the Bible very much teaches that. Well, well at least glad, his... I'm glad you had that, John. Uh, Brian. I'm sorry, John didn't mean to step on you. Uh, it, I, Brian, but let's let's consider something else here as well. If God doesn't hear sinners, then He's not going to listen to us. We're all condemned under sin. We've all well, come short of the glory. You know, of God. You know I would, and, Mike. I would say. That we're not sinners because Jesus died so that we would not be sinners. Well, uh, he died that we would be saints. And you, we might sin, and by confessing and repenting those sins, we might be forgiven. But at the same time, if I don't repent, uh, I still couldn't be confident God would hear my prayers. That, so that and that's what I'm getting to. By walking that, in that, sin. That, I'm not I'm sure getting. I would agree that we, you know, we we say it a lot. Uh, well, we're still sinners. I'm not yeah. sure that that's an accurate statement because a sinner is somebody who's in sin. Yes. And I would say that if we're in Christ, we can't be in Christ and in sin. So we, we really can't say we are sinners. You know, well, we that's might why... say, well, I sin and maybe I become a sinner by walking in sin. But I'm not right. sure if I would say it that way. Well, that's that's why I go to First John chapter one and show that if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That takes care of us. By the same token, if we say we've not sinned, then we become liars. So that the idea that God doesn't hear sinners is, again, encapsulating the Old Testament. By the same token, God does know that sinners pray to get out of that. Here's Saul of Tarsus, three days and three nights. Here's Cornelius, as you mentioned. Those individuals had not yet obeyed the gospel. God heard them praying, but he could not directly answer their prayer. He had to do that to the agencies of someone going to them and saying, here's the gospel. You arise, be baptized, wash away your sins. Through Peter, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that the, the idea of saying that God doesn't hear sinners, it's a two-way street. Can he answer them directly? No, because they've got to show their repentance while they're, if, if you said, Brian, as you said, Brian, if they continue in sin, the grace may bound, God forbid. By the same token, if they're seeking an avenue, Jesus said, ask, you'll receive. Knock, it'll be open. Seek, you'll find. And that's one way that they can do that. All right, Paul or Tom, you're both still on camera. Do y'all have any thoughts as well? I decided yeah, to do a uh, gallery view. Yeah, just real quick. First uh, Peter three twelve. If if I were going to make a distinction between you know the way that uh, for, uh, John has misused in First Peter three verse twelve, we read there the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Mm -hmm. And so I mean the observation is made right there that there is a distinction between those who are followers of God, those who are Christians, and those who are not today. And this is the passage I would go to, to make the distinction. And, and of course, I agree with the observations that are made 
you know, uh, you know, uh, the observations that have been made about, you know, hearing the prayers of sinners, the way that it's used is to make the point of uh, God doesn't hear those who are uh, uh, unsaved and so on, that, that have never become Christians. Uh, to which I asked somebody in the denominational world, uh, if the way you get into Christ is through the sinner's prayer, uh, <laughs> how's God ever going to hear it if uh, God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners and you're a sinner when you're offering it? Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay. I'll go back to normal, normal view here. All right. So. John, um, I'll I'll just, just a very brief statement. And that is that I I have viewed that as saying, uh, certainly God has promised. And because of his promise, he has a responsibility to, Mm -hmm. and I'm not telling God his business. That's for sure but he has a responsibility to hear and answer his children's prayer. Uh, Strangers, was he aware that they're praying? Uh, I believe that he is aware that they're praying. He heard uh, Cornelius's prayers came up for a memorial and uh, it was mentioned Saul of Tarsus also. But I I believe it's talking about God's responsibility or God's promise, his work to always hear and answer his children's prayers, whatever that answer may be. Okay. All right. Interesting. I think I know why I pulled the question. <laughs> um, see, the way I was kind of looking at it, and we'll hurry and pull it to a close because I know we're, we're now at the top of the hour and past it a little bit. Um, just be careful when you use John 9, 31. He was using it to convince the Jews that Jesus was from God because he was healed. Therefore, Jesus healed him. Therefore, God heard Jesus because we know God doesn't hear sinners. All right. And if Jesus had been a sinner, then the man would not have been healed. He's trying to reason with the Jews to get them to accept and listen that Jesus was sent from God. Um, There, But it's been pointed out there are other Bible passages that talk about the relationship and what enables one to pray to God. And... um, it's like a Christian. If you've got someone who's willfully walking in sin and they're asking God to forgive them of their sins, but there's no internal intent of the heart to turn away from their sin that they've been committing and they're still doing it, I would say God doesn't hear that prayer. Or he says no, however you want to word it, but it's not going to result in forgiveness until they're truly repentant. All right. Well, I guess that's about all she wrote for this study, gentlemen. Um Paul, I think you mentioned earlier, we're not going to have a study next week. Would you like to elaborate real quick on that? No, next Wednesday will be the day before Thanksgiving. Many of you will be spending time with your families that week, as will many of us. And so we will not meet next Wednesday, which will be the 27th. Is that right? Yes, the 27th. But we will meet the first Wednesday in the month of December for our next study, Lord willing. All right. And that's Tom, what date is that? And what is the topic of that study? It, it will be December 4th. And we're going to be talking about uh, Bible reading or effective Bible reading in reality uh, as it relates to Bible study. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining us for our study today. We'd love to hear from you. Um, as Paul mentioned earlier, you can send all questions and comments to questions at truthfactor.com or questions at truthfactorlive.com would work too. And also you can use our various social media avenues. But two weeks, December 4th, 
back here again at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. That's noon in the Eastern Time Zone. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. And 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.